Cool 97 Radio. Listen to Cool 97 FM for the music. Listen to Cool 97 FM for the music. Watch Cool 97 FM.com for the top. Watch Cool 97 FM.com for the top. For the top. Catch dads and dating and up close and personal. Watch, like, comment, share, subscribe. Subscribe. Singles live on the Nation School Est, Cool 97 FM. And tonight, we're going to call it the prostate checkup. However, we may go into other concerns regarding the male species, the ones that stay home until things go really bad. Um, <laughs> before I even introduce Doc, uh, let me ask you, why are you afraid of going to the doctor, sir? What is this? It's so strong and powerful. Is it can't take pain? pain. The ego speaks. Yeah, I guess. I guess. All right. So once you talk about prostate, you know, it's like ouch. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. It is nothing compared to what women have to go through. I believe you. Yes, yes. And we do go to see our gynecologist on a regular basis. Yes. Compared to what our men in our society and other societies are doing. So we have with us, I don't know if I should say professor or I should say doctor because he wears so many hats. And I'm just going to run through a couple of them for you. He's a consultant urologist at the University Hospital of the West Indies. He is the immediate past president of the Association of Surgeons in Jamaica. He is a council member of the Medical Council of Jamaica. He's an international surgical advisor for Jamaica, the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. And the list goes on and on. He is the president, uh, 2017, 2018, and still is of the, the Rotary Club. Uh, of New Kingston, assistant governor. Assistant governor. <laughs> oh dear, Doc, how do you find time to do so many things? Well, you have to make the time, you know, and when you, you know, for the things you like and the things you enjoy doing, you have to make the time. Okay, yeah. and it is all about um, being a part of the medical profession and also the helping profession because you have to go out there and do what you can when you can to help those that you can. And so we appreciate you. So September is we look and we focus on men and prostate. And quite a number of sensitization seminars and programs are being held throughout the Jamaica. And so we thought it fit to invite Doc to tonight's show, Singles Live, to reach out to the men who have been 
calling in and feeling a little bit left out um, when we have gone through a series of um, women's concern with Dr. Milton Hardy and so uh, Professor Dr. <laughs> is here with us tonight and we're going to talk about prostate, everything prostate and all your concerns. If you're joining us via the World Wide Web, thank you ever so much. You can chit chat there and ask your questions and uh, I'll see how much Doc can respond for those persons who are listening via the radio. You can call me up when we do take the commercial breaks and you can call me up on 978-7388 that's 978-7388 and for those who are on WhatsApp you know what to do and how to reach us. So let's start from the basic what is the prostate gland? What does it do? Is it necessary? And where is it located? Okay, so the prostate gland is one of the accessory organs of reproduction. What does that mean? So in the male, the primary organs of sexual reproduction are the penis, the organ a man uses for sexual intercourse, and the testis, the organ that produces sperm cells that fertilizes a female egg or ovum. But there are some other organs, the prostate being one of them, that plays a supportive role in reproduction. Other organs include the seminal vesicles, etc. The prostate makes up about 20% of the semen that a man ejaculates. Other 70% comes from the seminal vesicles and only 5 to 10% comes from the testes. So, these secretions are important because they have a number of substances in them that facilitate reproduction. One of the important substances is something called prostate-specific antigen. The, it's an enzyme, and the role of prostate-specific antigen, or PSA for short, is to keep the, the semen in a liquid state so it flows freely in the female genital tract. But, but prostatic secretions, which are acidic, also have a number of other things. They have substances in them, in it, that prevents infections. It has substances that um, support the sperm cells in terms of providing metabolic support in terms of sugars to help the sperm cells swim all that distance in the female genital tract. So the prostate gland has a secretory role in that this 20% of semen comes from the prostate. It also has a muscular role in that during ejaculation, the prostate, um, the muscle within the prostate contracts mm -hmm. and pinches off the communication with the bladder. So by so doing, it prevents semen from going backwards into the bladder, what we call retrograde ejaculation. So the contraction of the prostate ensures that the the semen comes out in a pulsatile and ejectile manner, or it helps that process. Can a man live without his prostate? Absolutely. The prostate is not essential for life. Where is it located? It is, it is deep within the belly bottom, um, located that, that bone that you feel just above the root of the penis, called the pubic bone. It is immediately behind the pubic bone and it is immediately in front of the rectum. So it's wedged between the pubic bone in front and the rectum behind. 
and sitting on top of it is the bladder. Mm -hmm. And from the bladder comes the urethra, which runs right through the prostate into the root of the penis out, out to the exterior. All right, stick and about Dre have, have a burning question. Yeah, man, I see about it. 50 pin. Um, okay, okay, okay. So you, you, you mentioned earlier um, that the... Prostate. Prostate. Um, not not prostrate. A lot of Jamaicans. <laughs> prostate. Pro, pro, prostate. It's prostate. Yeah, yeah that's what I said. I know. Prostate. I know. I know. I just using the. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's prostate. Okay. Right. All right. Um. So you mentioned um earlier that it it it, it contracts and um stops the backflow, right? Right. So if we're living without it. Wouldn't then wouldn't wouldn't that wouldn't that backflow happen? Okay, so that's a very interesting question. So there are two common operations that we do on the prostate. We do several, but there are two that are particularly common. Mm -hmm. In men who have prostate cancer, we completely remove the prostate. Okay, but at the same time that we remove the prostate, we also tie off the communication from the testes. To the urine passage called the vas deferens. The vas deferens, that's the same tube that a man has tied when he has a vasectomy. So when we do, when we completely remove the prostate, not only do we remove the prostate, but we also remove another organ adjoining the prostate called the seminal vesicle. If you recall, the seminal vesicle produces 70% of the semen. Mm -hmm. So we're removing the prostate, we're removing the seminal vesicles, and we're tying off the tube that carries sperm from the testes to the urine passage. Okay. So in other words, when a man ejaculates after having had his prostate removed, he doesn't really ejaculate. He just he has an orgasm. Mm -hmm. He has all the sensations of an orgasm, but he does not ejaculate because there is no fluid okay. to ejaculate. Okay, but everything is still intact. Oh, that's the question working. that he wants to ask. Everything no, 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 is still. No, 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 there are two questions. No, there are two, there are two burning. No, 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 there are two. Go on. And he answered both of them just mm -hmm. now. So. There is no backflow because that's cut off completely. That's right. There's no And, backflow. you know, we can still do things. Right. <laughs> so, so let me address that about yeah. still doing your thing. So one of, the, one of the possible risks of removing the prostate, I, I know we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves in mm -hmm. terms of going straight to treatment, but one of the possible side effects of removing the prostate is what we call erectile dysfunction or what is commonly known as impotence. The thing is that there are a pair of nerves that supply the penis and these nerves run on either side of the prostate in the sheath, in the tissues that cover the prostate. When we remove the prostate at surgery, we make every attempt to spare these nerves by carefully dissecting them off the prostate before removing it. Unless a man has cancer that is invading these nerves or the, the, the tissues around these nerves. Because remember, the primary purpose of the operation is to cure cancer. Mm -hmm. So if we find somebody has cancer outside of the prostate invading the area of the nerves, we are going to deliberately take a wider margin on that side and sacrifice the nerves. But that's not a common scenario. Most men who we operate on for early prostate cancer have the cancer confined to the prostate and we spare the nerves. 
Now, if a man has good erectile function before surgery and we spare the nerves and he's relatively young, there is every possibility that he is going to recover his erections, but it may take a while because the trauma of dissecting those nerves off and preserving them causes the nerves to temporarily, and I emphasize or <laughs> temporarily <laughs> malfunction. Okay. And so over a period of up to 18 months, up to, because we've had men who immediately after surgery, their erections were preserved. I was just about to ask. Okay. Yeah, so 18, there are 18 months sounds like a 18 months a is, is the sort of upper limit. Is the upper limit. But it's a as, long time though. I know, but guess what? As urologists, we have an, a, a quite a few tricks up our sleeve. Oh, talk to me. So that will enable the man, if he so desires, mm -hmm. to have sexual intercourse with his partner. We can, we can teach a man how to give himself a very tiny injection in the penis. <laughs> <laughs> I did, okay. I knew I would get that okay. reaction. <laughs> it's not as bad as it sounds. Mm -hmm. It's really not as bad as it sounds. So we can teach you how to give yourself a tiny erection, a tiny, sorry, a tiny injection mm -hmm. in the penis to give you an erection, a hard enough erection to have intercourse while you... So the, the medicine is supplied? Is provided. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. The okay. medicine is prescribed by by the urologist, and we teach you how to give, or your partner. We teach you or your partner mm -hmm. how to give yourself this injection directly into the side of the penis, and we 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 modulate the dose so you don't have an erection that lasts too long. That's one of the. What's too long though? Too long is where it's, it's, it seems as if we're drifting. <laughs> yeah, but these are pertinent. Go ahead, we'll, we'll we'll play catch up because these are concerns and and pertinent questions that men um, want to ask. Even if they don't ask it, they have it somewhere in the back of their heads. Mm -hmm. So um, no problem, Dre. Go right ahead. Yes, yeah, so ask what's too long. There is a danger if you don't determine the correct dose of the injection that the man may get what is called priapism. Priapism is a prolonged erection which may have initially been caused by sexual stimulation but persists and is no longer being driven by sexual arousal or sexual desire so it's a prolonged usually painful erection and the danger with priapism is that if it isn't if it isn't treated quickly enough the, the penis can permanently permanently die i mean in terms of having die um, like this Yes, if you if not working anymore, it's dead. If the if the blood supply, if the oxygen supply to the penis is cut off for a long enough time, mm -hmm. you you can have permanent um, impairment. Wow. So it's it's very important for the urologist to determine the correct dose, mm -hmm. and and most men will be satisfied with an erection that lasts an hour or two. Anything that goes beyond four hours is too long. Okay. Right. Okay. So you're good with those questions. You can think of other questions that you'd want to ask and um, let us hear because it's good to have you <laughs> asking the questions and I'm just listening over here. Um, are there different things that can go wrong um, with the prostate, Doc? Absolutely. So it's not just prostate cancer that affects the prostate. There are two other conditions that are common. Mm-hmm or as common as prostate cancer. One of them affects the same age group of men as prostate cancer, aging men. And that's a condition known as benign prostatic hyperplasia. 
What that simply means is non-cancerous enlargement of the gland. The thing about BPH is that it affects a different part of the prostate. It affects a, a part of the prostate that immediately surrounds the urethra. So when men have BPH and they have symptoms as a consequence of it, these symptoms um, are, are related mostly to urination. So mm -hmm. with BPH, um, if a man has symptoms, they typically include getting up at night to pass urine one or more times, going often during the day, sometimes getting a sudden or intense urge to pass urine that you can't hold. Um, sometimes before you get to the bathroom, the urine may come down on you. When you go to the bathroom, sometimes it may take a long time for the urine to start flowing. And when the urine does come out, it may come out quite weak or, or the stream may not be as strong. And you may notice, the man may notice that the urine doesn't flow continuously to the end, but it flows and stops in an intermittent fashion. And there may also be dribbling at the end of the stream. And then also the man may notice that when he's finished passing urine, that he has the feeling that he has not emptied his bladder. So these are some of the symptoms that may be caused by BPH or non-cancerous enlargement of the prostate gland. A lot of times these symptoms may be present and during the course of evaluating the man, he may be found to have a coexisting prostate cancer. Now it's important to realize that the cancer was not what was causing those symptoms, it was the BPH. But luckily that man may have been found to have an early prostate cancer because in the process of evaluating that patient with those low urinary tract symptoms, he was found to have an early prostate cancer. If prostate cancer per se causes those symptoms, then the cancer is usually advanced. So one of the take-home messages for male listeners tonight and the women who love them is that men must not wait until they have these symptoms that I just mentioned because one of the problems why death from prostate cancer is so common in Jamaica it's by far the most common cause of cancer deaths in both men and women <laughs> you know overall prostate cancer accounts for the highest um, cancer death rate the reason part of the reason that is is because men wait until they have symptoms they wait until they have a problem to come to the doctor and when they come at that point mm -hmm. the cancer is advanced or it has what we call metastasized it, it has spread so if nothing else i want our listeners to remember tonight beginning at age 40 in our high-risk population of men men need to come to the doctor and it doesn't have to be a urologist any doctor any trained doctor it doesn't even have to be a, a, um, a, a clinic or, a, or a, a doctor's office. You can go to the Jamaica Cancer Society mm -hmm. where urologists um, volunteer their time free, of course. So if you come to the Cancer Society, you're assured that you're being examined by a urologist. Right. And along with the blood test, the PSA, which we mentioned earlier in the context of what it does, um, we need to talk a little more about PSA, but the blood test is the PSA blood test or prostate-specific antigen blood test. And the other test, of course, is a test that the men don't like. And that's the test where we insert a gloved and lubricated finger in the back passage. And within 10 seconds of doing so, we can 
examine the prostate and tell you if something is wrong with it okay and you said 10 seconds i just want to highlight that 10 seconds and and you said something earlier and you said something earlier which is so significant you said women go through a lot more in Berla, and it is true. It is true. I compare what a woman goes through to screen for cervical cancer mm-hmm. and breast cancer mm-hmm. to what men have to go through. A woman has a cold, hard speculum inserted mm-hmm. in her vagina. Mm-hmm. That, you know, what some people call it the pom-pom jack. Mm-hmm. They have the, 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 the blades of the speculum separating the walls of the vagina. And the wooden spatula is mm-hmm. inserted in the in in the vagina and the neck of the the, the cervix or, or or the neck of the womb, otherwise it's called the cervix, is scraped. Scraped, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a pleasant test to undergo. But women do it willingly and they do it freely and they do it regularly. Why do they do it? Because they want to live long enough to see their children and grandchildren, mm-hmm. right? But men, for, for ten seconds. For ten seconds and I said to the men, you are wusses. Because if you allow women, if women can go, go through that, when a woman has a mammogram, her, her breast is pinched. Her breast is pinched between the two plates, the, the mammographic plates, and there is some degree of pain, right? Mm-hmm. And yet women endure that to ensure that they catch their breast cancer early. But... I cannot, I cannot understand it's what I, is the I difficulty, you know. I didn't, first of all, I didn't even know it was 10 seconds. Well, no, you're knowing because. Yeah, I didn't know it was yeah, 10, 10 seconds. Yeah, 10 seconds, Ray. So that, that, that changes a whole lot. It is 10 mm-hmm. seconds and it is not painful. It is uncomfortable mm-hmm. because, you know, we're going in the opposite direction. That's to which thing. See, I can the, deal with a little bit of um, discomfort. Discomfort. So I, I, Pain it's, is it's, what I don't like. it's not painful under nor it's only painful if there is um anal pathology if, so if if the man has some pathology involving the anus or the rectum then it may be painful but in a normal male patient it is not painful mm-hmm. um anything else that can go wrong Yes, so mm-hmm. so that's so I've spoken about BPH, mm-hmm. and we haven't really spoken about prostate cancers yet. But there's a third condition called prostatitis. Itis, the suffix itis means inflammation. So, prostatitis is inflammation of the prostate, and there are different types. But one of the chief things, the the most common type of prostatitis, is characterized by pain pain in the pain after ejaculation or during ejaculation sometimes pain on passing urine sometimes pain in that area between the scrotum and the anus called the perineum sometimes low back pain pain is a big feature of prostatitis Mm -hmm. and it tends to occur it can occur at any age but it tends to be more common in younger men okay hear that dre Mm -hmm. I'm listening. I'm listening. So mm-hmm. those are the three common conditions. There are others, but those are the three most common ones. BPH, prostate cancer, and prostatitis. Okay, well, hold that thought. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we continue the conversation, the prostate checkup tonight inside Singles Live. We'll be right back. West, West Coast. Cool 97 FM is in your ear on 97.1 FM. Westmoreland, keep that cool vibe. Don't touch that dial.
Singles Live on the Nation School at School 97 FM and this segment of the talk segment is brought to you by Evergrow Garden Centre. When you want it to grow, call the pro. They are the experts located at 12 South Avenue in Kingston. Let them help you master your home gardening skills. Nurture beautiful, healthy plants is a perfect way to de-stress while you mold that gift of the green thumb and encourage the love of nature in your family. You can call them up at 906-9916-906-9160. You can also follow them on their Instagram and Facebook page at Evergrow Garden Center. So back into the conversation with Professor or should I say Doc, Dr. Aiken? Yes. I have a question for you before we um, go into a question that Dre wants to ask. And this one is coming in and it says, does the blood test for PSA um, more accurate than the rectum check or the CT scan check? Okay. So the, there are two tests, as I mentioned earlier, and they complement each other. So that's the prostate-specific antigen blood test that our listener is asking about. Mm -hmm. That's a blood test, but the blood test alone is insufficient as a screening test. Why? Because there are some men who may have a normal PSA, but when you examine their prostate, the prostate may be abnormal. Bear in mind that when we examine the prostate, if there is an abnormality, we're not only feeling for the abnormality, we want to know the extent of it, okay? So the findings on rectal examination are actually quite important because it tells us if a nodule is there, it tells us what the size of the nodule is, it tells us whether the nodule is involved in both sides of the prostate or whether it's going outside of the prostate. So the rectal examination is actually quite important. The other thing, rectal cancer is not all that uncommon either. So when we put our finger in, if somebody has a bulky rectal tumor, it's also um, a test that can can reveal that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a saying, if a doctor doesn't put his finger in, he ends up putting his foot in because it can be such a fatal error not to do the rectal examination. All right. So the two tests are complementary. Having said that, and if a man insists he doesn't want the rectal exam, we won't turn him away. We will still do the blood test, but we will explain to him that the screening is not um, complete. It's insufficient. And, mm -hmm. and there is a possibility that cancer could have been missed. The caller also asks about the CT scan. So in the context of prostate cancer, sometimes we may request a CT scan to determine the extent of spread of the cancer. Um, it has been largely replaced though with um, what is known as an MRI, which is another imaging test which is more sensitive and is more um, accurate in terms of telling us what the local extent of spread of the cancer is. So CT scans are not used as often in, in, in prostate cancer as before. It's been more or less replaced with MRI. Um, so it has a diminishing role. Andre, mm -hmm. yeah. you wanted to ask something before we move on? Oh, yes. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I just wanted you to give um, some details on prostate, prostatitis. Prostatitis. Okay, sure, Dre. So as, as I said earlier, prostatitis literally means inflammation of the prostate. 
but there are actually four subtypes. It's not a it's not a homogeneous condition. It's a sort of catchphrase that encompasses a number of things. So there is what is known as acute bacterial prostatitis, mm. and that, and that's an acute infection when um, bacteria um, invade the prostate and cause an infection within the prostate and. Those patients usually are, are very sick. They become acutely ill. They may develop high fever, chills, what Jamaicans call ague or shaking. Mm-hmm, shaking. Right. They may have burning when they pass the urine, or they may actually develop stoppage of water or what we call acute urinary retention because the prostate becomes inflamed, edematous, and swollen. And furthermore, the, the muscle within the prostate may go into a spasm and the patients may not be able to pass urine. So whenever we see that constellation of symptoms and signs, especially if it's preceded by something like a biopsy, which is the most common (laughs) triggering factor, you know, after a prostate biopsy where a pinch of tissue is taken from the prostate through the rectum, that invariably involves some inoculation of bacteria into the prostate. The thing is we usually give antibiotics and so lower the risk of acute bacterial prostatitis but uh, unfortunately sometimes it still occurs it may also occur in other settings but as I said it's very easy to recognize because the patient suddenly becomes ill with high fevers, chills, rigors and etc. The other type of prostatitis is known as chronic bacterial prostatitis and here now what you have is a chronic infection of the prostate with bacteria that persist within the prostate. The prostate is one of these organs where antibiotics do not penetrate very well and only certain antibiotics um, are able to actively penetrate the tissue of the prostate. And so if a patient has an infection in the prostate and it's not adequately treated, it may end up becoming a chronic um, situation. And how these patients manifest is that they usually they, they tend to get recurrent urinary tract infections. But the peculiar thing about it, it's always the same strain of germ every single time. And this is due to persistence of the bacteria within the prostate. Um, within the prostate, you may have stones, believe it or not, you may have... Um, stones developing and the bacteria may adhere to these stones and antibiotics don't penetrate stone tissue so because of this the bacteria can can persist within the prostate and the patient ends up getting these recurrent infections caused by the same germ and how we treat that are is usually with very long courses of antibiotics sometimes up to three months and sometimes longer So that's another type of prostatitis. The other type of prostatitis has two subtypes and and it's the most common type. There is what is known as chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Remember earlier I said the most common type of prostatitis is characterized by pain. And here, as I said earlier, the pain is typically on ejaculation. So when a man ejaculates, ejaculation is painful or there may be pain after ejaculation, you know, persisting for a long time, or the man may have pain in the belly bottom, you know, above the root of the penis, or pain in the penis itself, or pain 
between the scrotum and, and the, the anus, an area called the perineum. He may also have pain on defecation or lower back pain. So pain is a prominent feature mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. chronic pelvic pain syndrome. And the pain usually um, lasts for a long period and it comes and goes and patients may be fine for long periods and then all of a sudden they may have pain again. And there are many things that can trigger this pain. Um, one of the things that may is well known to trigger it is stress. Um, because in, during stressful periods you may have spasm of your pelvic floor muscles and that can cause pain. And then <coughs> there's another type now where the prostate is actually inflamed um, but it's not caused by an obvious infection. So there's inflammatory cells from the prostate but it's not you, you don't you don't you cannot I- isolate a, a bacteria from it and again the treatment is with anti-inflammatories um and sometimes antibiotics in, you know even though you can't identify a germ about 40 percent of these patients may respond to antibiotics and then finally there is what is known as uh, and this is a big word asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis and let me break that down so there are two scenarios in which you commonly see this. Men may have an elevated PSA, and the PSA may not necessarily be due to cancer. In fact, there are many things that can cause an elevation in the PSA, and prostatitis is actually one of them. So a man may go to the doctor, and the doctor checks his um, PSA, and the PSA is high, and he has a biopsy, but the biopsy does not come back showing any cancer. Instead, what it comes back showing is prostatitis. And so the prostatitis is thought to be what was driving the PSA up. Um, and so that's called asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis because the patient didn't have any symptoms. The patient just had an elevated PSA and has been found on the biops- biopsy to have prostatitis. So that's one scenario. The other scenario is when a man produces um, a sample of semen, occasionally there may be a lot of inflammatory cells in the semen. And again, that's that um, you may have a diagnosis of asymptomatic inflammatory prostatitis in a situation like that, if the inflammatory cells are thought to be coming from the prostate. Right. So, okay. Um, what about this um, scenario then, or this symptom, which probably isn't related, but I have to ask it because, you know, you said pain and we're dealing with that general area. <clears throat> um, so, before, well, after an erection, when there is no ejaculation and then there is pain, does that have anything to do with this scenario so i think what you're asking about is what is colloquially known as blue balls yeah so if a man is aroused for a long time so for example um teenagers or young adults who may engage in heavy petting Mm -hmm. prolonged sexual stimulation but they don't engage in intercourse Um, or there is no sexual release release in terms of ejaculation what happens is that the pelvic organs become severely congested 
meaning the blood flow into these organs increases as part and parcel of sexual arousal. The blood flow increases. That's why a man gets an erection and mm-hmm. so on. And, and the, the, um, the tissues like the testes and the epididymis, these tissues actually become swollen because of the engorgement um, by the blood. During ejaculation, there is um, a release of certain hormones and there is a neural discharge that causes decongestion of these organs. So if you do not, if you are engaged in heavy petting or sexual stimulation for a long time Mm -hmm. and there is no sexual release, the the congestion remains. Remains. And that can be extremely painful. Mm -hmm. And that's what's commonly known as blue balls because that's where the pain is centered in the in the testes but it's not um it has nothing to do with prostatitis um, no, it, has, it has absolutely nothing, nothing to do with prostatitis okay. it's due to um congestion of blood okay totally mm-hmm. unrelated yeah. ah so now that we have covered that let us look at um the big concern and that is prostate cancer what exactly is prostate cancer okay so Let's talk about cancer and then let's look at what prostate cancer is. So the human body is made up of trillions of cells. And these cells are organized into tissues and tissues in turn are organized into organs and organs are are organized into systems. The the cells that make up a tissue are, are finely regulated in terms of the turnover of the cells or the reproductive rate of the cells you'll find that the the cells exist in harmony and in balance and there is never an excessive production of cells. In a cancer, what happens is that the genetic makeup of the cell, what we call the DNA, is altered. And it may be altered by a number of things. It can be altered by chemicals, it can be altered by by radiation, it can be altered by by viruses, it can be altered by a host of different things that can alter the DNA. Um, So this altered DNA then causes the cell to reproduce or turn over in an excessive fashion. And even though the stimulus that might have initially caused this turnover is, is, is removed, the cells continue in this, the excessive um, state of turnover until you have a mass developing. Mm-hmm. But what is particularly um, characteristic of cancer is that as this, the, the, the genetic makeup of the cell becomes increasingly unstable or increasingly changed, the cells acquire the ability to invade the surrounding tissues. And that is characteristic of cancer. That's what separates a benign from a malignant tumor. Mm-hmm. A malignant tumor, which is a cancer, has the ability to invade surrounding tissues and it has the ability to access the bloodstream and the lymphatic channels and travel to distant sites in the body, exit those, those, those vessels and take up root in another organ. So this is how you get metastases from, say, your prostate all the way up to your, to your brain. brain right. As we learned, right. yes. Now, when that process starts within the prostate, you have prostate cancer, okay? So when that malignant transformation takes place within the prostate gland, that is what is known as prostate cancer, okay? Prostate cancer is 
very common in men of African ancestry. In fact, it, it, in terms of all the races, the persons of African ancestry have the highest um, risk of developing prostate cancer. Why is that though? That's a good question. Why <laughs> is that? That's a question that I'm commonly asked. You know, it, it's a complex issue. It obviously may be related to genetic factors that are unique or that are more common in persons of African descent. But there are other factors that are confounded with race. You know, um, there are cultural habits that might be race-related. There are socioeconomic and other factors that are highly tied to race. And so it's very difficult always to tease out exactly Mm -hmm. why. But there are definitely biological factors related to race and there are cultural and other factors. But there is no doubt that persons of African ancestry have the highest risk of prostate cancer. It runs in families. Um, If a first degree has a prostate cancer, you're more likely to get it. So if your father or your brother has prostate cancer, you're more likely to get prostate cancer than somebody who doesn't have that history. And recently, within the last decade or two, we have discovered that the sons of women or the brothers of women with breast cancer yes. are at higher risk of prostate cancer. Yes. And yes. that's due to the BRCA, the BRCA gene, BRCA gene, the same gene that Angelo, Jan, Angelina Julie had, yes, yes. Uh, that, that led her to do her prophylactic bilateral mastectomy. So that gene not only increases the risk of breast cancer, it also increases the risk of prostate cancer and other cancers as well. So it runs in families and it also is a disease of aging men. It's very rare below 40. It, it's most common in men in their 60s and 70s and, and 80s if you live long enough. But beginning at age 14, our high-risk population, we recommend that you start checking for prostate cancer. In and how regularly is the, would that check up be? At the current moment, we recommend once a year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Once a year. Um, In Caucasian populations, um, the age that is recommended to start screening is actually 55. If you don't have a family history and you're Caucasian, 55, we start screening for prostate cancer. But in our high-risk population, we recommend 40 years. Okay, hold that thought. Let me do this. And I also have a couple of questions coming in. Just to remind you that this talk segment is brought to you by Evergrow Garden Center. Remember, as Jamaicans, we must continue our efforts to grow what we eat and eat what we grow. And Evergrow is the ultimate one-stop shop where you can get everything for your farming, whether it's commercial or home, your gardening and your growing needs. You can call them up at 906-9916 or 906-9160 for details. Remember, you can follow them on their Instagram and Facebook page at Evergrow Garden Center. Now, let me move my screen up because they're asking Doc to speak on this matter. Um... Let me move it up. Um, Here we go. Um, Marho says, Harvard has a study that concluded that the more ejaculations a man has, the lower the risk of prostate cancer. Doc, can you speak on that? 
So that is absolutely correct. There is a prospective study, which means uh, a study that followed men over a long period of time, um, forwards in time. And what they did was look at the, the ejaculatory history of these men and they compared men who went on to develop prostate cancer with men who did not. And the men who did not develop prostate cancer had a much higher ejaculatory frequency in their younger years compared to the men who developed prostate cancer. Uh, and there, there was a distinct difference in, in outcome in men who ejaculated 21 times or more per month <laughs> compared to men who didn't. But I think that the take-home message is this. So I don't think we need to focus but on the 21. Did Harvard, did Harvard um, do their study on, on, on African-American or Jamaican men? <laughs> I can't speak to that. I'm just just throwing that one wide out into the ocean. And I have my reasons for asking that, but that's for a different show. Anyway, but but seriously, I think there is fairly strong evidence that the more often a man ejaculates, the less likely he is to develop prostate cancer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dre, you know what I'm, what I'm thinking. Another question. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's what the doctor ordered. <laughs> yes, that is what the doctor ordered. But I'm just thinking that multiple partners, because you want to reach um, the goal of ejaculating on a regular basis, um, I don't think that's a very good idea for those who are thinking in, along that line. So, let, let so, so we have actually studied that as well, mm-hmm. um, because and it's a frequent, it's a, a question I'm frequently asked. Mm-hmm. Does um, multiple sexual partners or sexually transmitted infections um, is it associated with mm-hmm. prostate mm-hmm. cancer? And the short answer is no. We have not, we don't have any hard or robust evidence that links multiple sexual partners or sexually transmitted infections to prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. So, but, but, women, but not, so eh? women shouldn't even be upset with us for having oh, more people burn. <laughs> no, 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 we're no, just no. trying to... No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We're said, just that's trying what... to save our lives. That's all we're, we're looking out no. for number one. Uh-uh. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another question. Um, let me see. That, uh, so much is happening here. Um, I think Ian had. Oh, Ian is asking, Doc, could a dietary factor, um, could it be dietary factor um, affected by economic challenges that could be a part of the issue for um, black men? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad Ian has asked that question because diet is thought to play a role in the development of prostate cancer. We didn't touch on that earlier, but a diet rich in um, animal fat and red meat is associated with the development of prostate cancer as well as processed foods. So things like bacon, salami, sausage, anything in a plastic wrapper that you have to freeze um, is is associated with prostate cancer and generally overeating. Now, the, the question about economic factors, I, I do believe economic factors play a big role in, in the death rate from prostate cancer because the truth is 
when you have competing factors for a limited supply of funds um, a man when a man has to put food on the table and care for his family and so on his hard-earned money is not going to be used to take care of himself when he has other more pressing needs and so I think economic factors do play a role in the late presentation of prostate cancer and especially in our population where only 21% of our population has insurance, health insurance. Um, economic factors, I believe, do play a significant role in the delay in accessing health care. True that. Um, I mean, our listeners are have just thrown a sense of humor, and, and basically they're saying Dre uh, and ejaculation doesn't require a partner, <laughs> and they're saying that uh, we, you know yeah, we have to throw a little bit. Of, there are a few a ejaculation partner. businesses somewhere. I'm not going to call anywhere. It's mm. not here in Jamaica though. Mm. Um, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. We're going to take another break. It is now ten thirty one on the clock. Reminding you that this talk segment is brought to you by Evergrow Garden Center. When you want it to grow, call the pro. Call them up at 906-9916 or 906-9160. Remember, check out their Instagram page. So much to see. We're going to take the break. We'll be right back. Going to take a call on 978-7388. Singles Live still in our talk segment. Tonight it's the prostate checkup. And uh, let me allow Doc to address um, a call that we got. And the caller had concerns about um, bicycle rides, extended period, because I know that he's a cyclist. Um, don't know um, to what length he is um, riding, if it's from Kingston to Negril, but he has major concerns about the length that a man stays when riding his cycle. Does that affect the prostate? Very, very good question. And so, yes, the, the short answer is yes. Um, it affects it in a number of ways. So when a man is riding, the entire weight of his trunk is on the prostate. What separates the seat from his body is the prostate, the perineum, that area between the scrotum and the anus, which rests on the bicycle seat. The prostate is right above that. And as he rides, what is happening is that the prostate is getting massaged. Now, if such a man were to go and do a blood test to check on his prostate within a three to four week period of having ridden, his PSA is going to be elevated. It can actually be markedly elevated. Bicycle riding is one of those things that can elevate the PSA. And and we didn't speak about this earlier, but PSA is not specific to prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. When the blood, when the, the PSA is elevated in the blood, it just tells you that there's something wrong with the prostate. Mm-hmm. And bicycle riding is one of those things that can cause the PSA to go up. So, if the doctor is careful, he will take a careful history from the patient, and if he determines that the patient was riding a bicycle in recently in relation to the elevated PSA, 
rather than going ahead and doing a biopsy, which would be a very invasive thing to do, he will simply repeat the, he or she will simply repeat the PSA in a month's time and ensure that the patient does not do any more bicycle riding. There is an there is a another there is another um, way in which bicycle riding can affect the not so much a prostate but it can affect erections and it's not so much a problem now as it was in the past because the technology has improved in terms of the way in which the bicycle seats are made but older older models of bicycle seats when a man um sat on on the bicycle seat for a long period he would be compressing the nerves that go to the penis and that area could in fact become very numb on prolonged riding and over a period of time the erections could be adversely affected there has definitely been an association between bicycle riding and erectile dysfunction where the older bicycle seats are concerned. I'm not aware that the newer model seats really pose that issue anymore. So those are the two ways in which um, bicycle riding may affect a man's genitourinary function. It may confound the interpretation of the PSA, and certainly in the older model bicycle seats, it could be cause erectile dysfunction because of continuous pressure on the, on the nerves that supply the penis. Yes, and I know that the listeners listening um, another one, let me see, if, hold, hold the talking, hold the talking <laughs> let me see what is happening here um, Dave, how are you? Marho, thank you so much Angie Angel, Ian thank you so much let's move on and I think based on the questions um, that are being asked we're going to move right into that now what are the risk factors of developing prostate cancer okay so earlier I spoke about the three established risk factors age race and family history those are the what we call the established risk factors so as I mentioned earlier um, as a man gets older he is more at risk. If you are of African ancestry, compared to all the races, you are at highest risk. And if you have a family history, not only of prostate cancer, but we mentioned breast cancer, that's a risk factor as well. Diet is, dietary factors are also shown, have been shown to be um, risk factors. So a diet high in red meat, animal fat, processed meats, dairy products, and overeating, chronic overeating, may increase the risk of prostate cancer. Mm-hmm. And now let us look into treatment. Okay. So the treatment of prostate cancer depends on a number of factors. It depends on the age of the patient. It depends on the grade and stage of the cancer. It depends on the life expectancy of the patient. Um, the wishes of the patient and what is available, what treatment options are available. Generally speaking, if a man has an, uh, at least a 15-year life expectancy and the cancer is discovered early, then there are a number of options to treat the cancer. You, if the cancer is what we deem as low risk, meaning that um, it's not likely based on the assessment of the cancer that it may necessarily pose a risk to the patient's life, then we may elect 
along with the patient to just monitor the cancer very carefully monitor the patient carefully and that's called active surveillance the standard treatments for prostate cancer include um, surgical removal complete surgical removal what what we call a radical prostatectomy and that can be done in a number of ways it can be done at open surgery what is called a radical retropubic prostatectomy which we do here in jamaica it can be done laparoscopically through what is called keyhole surgery mm -hmm. and there is a surgeon in jamaica who offers that treatment and it can be done with the assistance or aid of a robot we don't have a robot in jamaica um, <laughs> and that's known as robotic assisted laparoscopic radical prostatectomy the advantages of the robot is that the period of convalescence is shorter and the blood loss is less. But outside of those two established advantages, there are no advantages to the robot in terms of cancer cure rate or, or um, side effects. Okay? Um, the most important thing in, in terms of who does your surgery is that you need an experienced surgeon. So whether it's done robotically, laparoscopically, or open surgery, the outcome of surgery will largely depend on the, the stage and grade of the cancer as well as the experience of the surgeon. Mm -hmm. okay? In terms of another treatment option would be radiotherapy. And radiotherapy is giving high energy, high energy um, x-rays or radioactive rays to the patient focused on the on the prostate and what this does it kills the cancer cells preferentially over normal cells when the cells try to divide they can't and they die and uh, this is a, a acceptable treatment option there have been many improvements in radiotherapy over the last two decades where we're able to give much higher doses of radiation focused on the prostate while sparing the surrounding tissues especially the rectum and the bladder and so the cure rates from radiotherapy are, are um, compared to surgery you can also implant radioactive seeds so instead of giving what we call external beam radiation where the radiation beam is directed from outside the patient and focused on the prostate you can actually implant seeds radioactive seeds in the prostate itself and this is usually done on a day case basis so you come in have it done and go home the same day or the following day unlike the external beam that's done over a period of time several weeks usually so those are the standard treatment options there is also another option called watchful waiting in that if a man has a very short life expectancy and he has been diagnosed with prostate cancer and the cancer is not likely to pose a problem in his in his lifetime mm -hmm. then we don't actively monitor that patient we we tell the patient you know go on your way if if you should develop symptoms of prostate cancer then of especially metastasis come back to us and we will treat you at that time mm -hmm. the question is are there preventative i mean we looked at some things that um that 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 that, that can do, help to kind of and i don't want to use the word prevent um yeah <laughs> no <laughs> um slow down as dre says the growth 
um, when you are diagnosed with, 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 with prostate cancer, especially those evasive um, cancers? Is there something that can slow down the, the or once it is there it, and it is evasive, it, nothing you can do to slow the growth? So there is that concept of um, altering the growth rate of the cancer based on your diet and lifestyle. It's, a, it's not a new concept. It's a concept that was championed by a doctor, I can't remember his name, at the Memorial Sloan Kettering. He actually visited Jamaica back in the early 90s, I believe, visited one of our urology symposiums when um, um, Professor Lawson Douglas um, was, was head of urology at UA. And I remember distinctly because he gave a talk on exactly that topic, um, trying to slow down the growth rate of prostate cancer to a point where the patient outlives the cancer and, and dies from old age. So, you know, if a patient is diagnosed with prostate cancer, whether or not they have standard treatment or not, we do recommend that they um, avoid red meat, that they, they avoid animal fat or saturated fat, that they avoid processed meats, that they eat a lot of different colored fruits and vegetables, that they drink green tea if they, if they can. Um, soy products are also good, or soy protein. Um, we mainly recommend white meat, so um, fish or mm -hmm. chicken without the skin. Um, these are, this is a diet, a Mediterranean type diet with a, a lot of nuts, um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, avocado, mm -hmm. or what Seasonal, we call, time, no, what yes. we call pear in Jamaica, mm -hmm. right? So this is a type of diet that may, and I put the word, emphasize mm -hmm. the word may, may slow down the growth rate of prostate cancer. Generally speaking, prostate cancer is a slow-growing cancer um, compared to things like pancreatic cancer, stomach cancer, colon cancer. Prostate cancer is a relatively slow-growing cancer. And this is why we don't recommend screening um, or looking for or looking for early prostate cancer in men who have less than a 15-year life expectancy, because they may not derive any benefit from having those screening tests done. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an important concept. The other thing about prostate cancer is that the the, the cancer is not a homogeneous disease. It there is a wide variability in how aggressive it is. There are some men who will live to a ripe old age and die with their prostate cancer, what we call indolent cancers. And there are, on the other hand, men, generally younger men, who, if you do not aggressively treat the prostate cancer, they will die from it. And our job as a urologist is to um, differentiate amongst those cancers and determine the ones that need aggressive treatment and those that are indolent will leave those alone. I'm just looking at um, Angie Angel, um, I'm not going to ask not that question, but I'm going to ask, um, throw it out. And she's asking um, if cow foot is good for men, Doc. My hobby love it bad, bad. And I'm going to say this because um, Jamaican men have some aphrodisiacs. 
that they do believe in. So you have one of them happens to be the cow food because of the when I say the gum, the gumminess of the um, which is actually the collagen, if my memory serves me right. Yes, and then as Jamaican men, them have some other things that they love to blem up and drink up. Um, you have peanuts, wait, wait, peanuts and okra, saswa, sarsaparilla. Yes, and then the, the the goat nowadays is what the guinea hen weed. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Angie, um, I, I I I I don't know if Doc has done any um, research on the cow food, but if he has, then he can address that. <laughs> but I doubt it very much. It's just these aphrodisiac that I mean. It's, I guess it's comfort. And Doc spoke about stress. So I guess if you eat your cow foot in moderation and it reduces your stress level, then I guess it, it can work for you, right? A reduction of stress, eh? Yes, yes. yes some, of, some of them is all about feeling good and it's okay um, to do things that um, help, to help to relieve stress. So moderation, I mean, moderation is the key. Um, so we looked at um, treatments, um, and Doc had mentioned something um, earlier in the show, and we talk about the age range. And I am taking away, correct me if I'm wrong, Doc, that the older you get as a man, you may be prone, more prone to, to, to prostate, um, prostate cancer. That's and that is, it's almost that's a part of aging, Right. That, that that I mean, it may not be cancer, but can I ask this? Let me see if I put my trail of thoughts together. That the older you get, you may end up with some. Is it is it that you may end up having problematic um, prostate, or it has nothing to do with aging? So remember, and that I said that there are two diseases that affect the prostate mm-hmm. in aging men: mm-hmm. BPH and and prostate cancer. The, the prevalence of BPH increases with, yes. a, with age. So okay. approximately 50% of men in their 50s have BPH. And by the time a man gets into his 80s, 100% of men will have BPH. Not all of those men may develop symptoms as a, respo- as a result of BPH. But the symptoms I mentioned earlier, the getting up at night to pass urine, not being able to hold the urine, going off during the day, the urine coming out weak and so on. Those are all symptoms of an enlarged prostate affecting the urine. Okay? And then there is prostate cancer. But there are two separate diseases. Right? Um, the BPH can become complicated. It can cause kidney failure. It can cause recurrent urinary tract infections if you're not emptying your bladder. It can cause stones um, to develop. So BPH is not to be taken lightly. A lot of men used to die in the old days from BPH because it would cause kidney failure. Um, but prostate cancer is a totally, totally different kettle of fish in that that can kill you because of the, the it's a cancerous um, condition. Once it spreads or metastasizes, um, as a matter of fact, what we have spoken about in terms of treatments were directed at early prostate cancer. Mm-hmm, yes. Once the cancer has spread, um, it's usually treated with hormone therapy or what we call androgen deprivation therapy. That's just a big word, meaning that the cancer is testosterone dependent. It's, it's a 
hormone dependent cancer so it depends on the male hormone testosterone to continue thriving and growing and multiplying and spreading once you deprive the cancer of testosterone it will what we call involute or shrink no matter where it is in the body in the vast majority of men and this was discovered as early as 1944 and, and by two men called Huggins and Hodges who got the Nobel Prize for this discovery and for a long time removal of the testicles was a treatment or castration was a treatment for or the primary treatment for cancer prostate cancer that had metastasized somewhere in the 80s they developed um, drugs um, that did the same thing as castration so nowadays we don't have to castrate men anymore we can give them medication that will cause the testicles to stop producing testosterone what we call a medical castration and the prostate cancer no matter where it is in the body it will shrink so the man may come in sick he may come in what we call cachectic where he has lost a lot of weight his skin and bone he's having back pain he's riddled with cancer and we put him on these medic this, these drugs and the pain goes away they put back on the weight the quality of life improves and their survival improves but unfortunately the cancer may reach a stage where it outsmarts the medication that we put him on and it may develop what is called a castration resistant phase where the cancer no longer responds to the low levels of testosterone brought about by the initial medication and generally that's a terminal phase of the disease but thankfully in the last decade decade and a half quite a few drugs have been developed that give these men with castration resistant prostate cancer an additional two three years of, of survival um, by even lowering the testosterone levels more or by giving chemotherapy or by giving drugs that may block um, testosterone at, at the level of the cancer cells so you know there are drugs that are have been developed and are continue to be developed that each day is bringing about in improvements in the survival even of men who have reached this terminal phase of the disease we're glad to know that it's now just for the men to go on out to brave up to, to, brave up, to man up to man up, to man up and um, do what they need to do and get um, pay the doctor a visit to get their prostate checkup. Um, before we wrap things up with you, though, Doc, I know that um, the Jamaica Cancer Society for the month of September, they're, they're well, again, because every year they do this, every time they do this. It's not only one month, but it's an ongoing thing where men in Jamaica are being made aware um, of prostate cancer. Men in Jamaica are being made aware that, hey, you need to get your um, prostate check, um, as you say, on a yearly basis once you're over the age of 40. Um, so uh, the role that the Jamaica Cancer Society plays 
Um, we, we, as women, we know where to find the Jamaica Cancer Society, <laughs> and and we know the role that they play in 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 terms of women. But for 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 most people, when they hear the Jamaica Cancer Society, all they can see is that it's a pink bow as it relates to women. What role is the Jamaica Cancer Society now playing in terms of Jamaican men? Okay, so the Jamaica Cancer Society has always. Mm-hmm. Always, I want to emphasize that it has always played a role in um, prostate cancer screening and prevention for Jamaican men. The problem is, and we've done studies on this, we have the statistics in back maybe a decade ago, in a year when 12,000 women would come to the Jamaica Cancer Society for screening, you'd find only maybe 200 to 300 men coming in that same time period. Okay, but fortunately, I think due to programs such as this one and the word is getting out and more men are coming, um, urologists do volunteer their time. Um, f- f- you know, for, for, for a long time now, urologists have been um, volunteering their time on a monthly basis at the Cancer Society. So persons can go to the Cancer Society and at um, a, a, a subsidized, a significantly mm-hmm. subsidized cost, um, have their rectal exam done and the PSA blood test done. I think the Jamaica Cancer Society partners with biomedical labs to um, make these tests affordable and with the Jamaica Urological Society because, as I said, the urologists volunteer their time free of charge. Um, and so men are encouraged to go to the Cancer Society, not just in Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, but right throughout the mm-hmm. year, the doors of the Jamaica Cancer Society are open. Of course, COVID has thrown a, a spanner in the wheel in that perhaps, the, um, especially when you have lockdown days and so on, um, the screening may not necessarily be taking place as it usually does. But certainly the Cancer Society is open for business and they have been screening Jamaican men for prostate cancer for decades. Let me say yes, Ian is just um, saying and he says that I have listened meticulously because I don't intend to drop the ball. And Ian also says um, that... Two of his friend friends um, got very hard, was hit very hard, and he didn't forget. They're just having some conversations here um, inside the Mixelar chat room. But the clock on the wall, Doc, is telling us that time is up on us. Is there? Yes, 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 yes. Um, so is there anything else that you want to add? Um, we looked at prostate cancer, but is there any other concern that a man should have at this time? Well, if I had any final words, and mm-hmm. it, it would be to appeal to the woman because many times it's a woman who insists that the men go and see the doctor. Men, mm-hmm. men don't naturally have a preventative health care culture, um, unlike women. And so many times the women bring the men kicking and screaming to the doctor to be to be checked up. And so I would want to appeal to the women to make sure that they're they they ensure that they're 
their husbands, their fathers, their boyfriends, their brothers, their cousins, their significant others, that they take them to the doctor beginning at age 40 to ensure that they're screened not only for prostate cancer because you know 40 is a watershed age in terms of a lot of things start happening at age 40 <laughs> things start to go uh, down yes. instead of up up <laughs> that's right <laughs> so at age 40 you may find that your, your vision isn't as good as before at age 40 you may find that your blood pressure is climbing or or that you you know you you you're developing a little weight around the waist which is not good either because that can adversely affect erections and libido a lot of people don't know that fat around the waist converts the male hormone testosterone to female hormones so when you see these big men with the big bellies bragging about their sexual bravado and so on is is lie them or tell because we know <laughs> we know that that um when you have a, a big belly, um, it, it puts a, a, a metabolic strain on the body and you know there are a lot of things that go bad when you have a lot of fat around your waist. And also it does affect prostate cancer as well because men who are obese or overweight tend to have a more aggressive kind of prostate cancer. The outcomes are not as good and of course it affects other aspects of male sexuality. It affects your libido or your desire and interest for sex it affects your erections um and so it's 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 not a good thing to become overweight and obese yeah. mm -hmm. doc we want to say thank you so much um for those who joined us on the world wide web thank you so much d 33 yes you have to watch the fat around the belly for those persons who want to send this show to their friends and relatives especially the men um over the weekend it will be posted on co97fm.com uh, on our podcast so you just go and look for the podcast and you will see the singles live logo there you'll find um the show Yes, especially the talk segment. You may not hear the musical part, but definitely the talk segment of the show. So you want to um, wait for that. And if for some reason some of you fell asleep and missed out a little, hopefully not a lot, then you can also go to the podcast. I want to say thank you so much to Professor Akin. Thank you so much for taking time out to come and speak with us. And... Um, uh, we're going to call on you very soon. We're going to call on you very soon because men have more concerns um, too. It's not only prostate cancer, but several other concerns um, that men have. And they like to have a safe space um, in which maybe they're not participating, but I am absolutely sure that they are listening. And so we want to say thank you so much. The 33, thank you so much. And Angie Angel says, thank you, Doc. A lot of thank yous are coming in. Over 200 listeners worldwide, not only here in Jamaica, um, but in the diaspora. And we know our listeners who are listening silently via the good old radio. I want to say thank you to Evergrow Garden Center for sponsoring this portion of the talk segment. Remember, Evergrow, they're located at 12 South Avenue in Kingston. Remember, their friendly staff is ready to help you with everything you need for your home gardens, your commercial farms. You can also get your ceramic pots, fertilizers. 
trays, plants, seedlings, greenhouse structures, and so much more. Remember to like them on our Facebook page at Instagram at Evergrow Garden and uh, of course on Facebook also at Evergrow Garden. And keep listening for more talk segments right here on the nation's coolest. Cool 97 FM. Cool 97. Radio. Radio.